0: Everyone. I want to welcome you again to Epiphany Station. For those of you who don't know me, my name is Maddie. I get to be one of the pastors here at Epiphany. And we get to step into week two of our teaching series called The King is Coming. Now, I just want to appreciate as we go into this series, which quite frankly is a very celebratory, a very joyous one, that Christmas time doesn't always feel like that for everyone. So if you want to, you can do. It. I'm going to pray before we jump into our conversation today. Father God, I ask that as we look to Christmas and what that has meant for us, to us, and what maybe you want it to mean for us, that we would be able to bring all of our our pain and our hardship and our doubts and our fears, and we would just be able to learn from you. We want to hear from you. We want to know from you what it is that you've always destined, Christian, to be and to mean and how that affects us daily. Help us to do this in Jesus' name. Amen. So what we're doing in this series and hopefully going to accomplish is looking at Christmas through the lens of maybe what it was actually intended to be originally, in the first place, what God has always called it. And in that, that this may change some of the traditions that we hold to. It might even shift our perspective on some things that we believe about this season we walk through on an annual basis. Last week, we started the conversation talking about Mary, the mother of Jesus, how she was the first one to get the full scoop on what was going on, and her response to that, obviously before actually having to deliver the baby, her response was very joyous and very delighted, and her soul and her spirit sang out at the news that the king was coming. But there was someone else who knew more or knew earlier than Mary that something was coming. There was a guy And we're going to talk about him this week. This guy who got a on the horizon, something is up. God is going to do something in your lifetime that you cannot even begin to fathom. He maybe didn't get all the details Mary got, but nonetheless he knew. And this guy is Zechariah. Now Zechariah doesn't feature in many nativity scenes, nor does he feature often in the Christmas story at all, because Zechariah's story is all built upon not Jesus, but in fact another baby boy. Another baby boy that was born six months before Jesus that was the precursor to it all. And through that precursor, Zechariah knew before most, knew before many what was coming. And he knew, as we'll see, what was coming was change, dramatic change. And in that change was hopefully going to be coming peace and hope and joy and love on offer now, Zechariah operated in one of his roles within his community as a priest. Now, a priest's job was to mediate basically between God and the people to be able to be that go-between. And one of his duties was to go before God often and plead on behalf of his people and to offer sacrifice. And at on one such occasion, life got a bit weird for Zechariah as he was told that he and his family would have a part to play in what God wanted to do next for his people. He was told that he and his wife, Elizabeth, were going to have a kid. Now, they were old, and Elizabeth had had no children. She was considered barren. This is another miraculous conception, a miraculous birth. And in that, we find that Elizabeth and Zechariah, who were promised to be a part of this story, are told that they will have a child. And it came time for that child to be born, and that's where we're going to pick it up this morning. In Luke chapter 1, verse 57. So, as when it was time for Elizabeth's baby to be born, she gave birth to a son. And when her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had been very merciful to her, everyone rejoiced with her. When the baby was eight days old, they came for the circumcision ceremony. They wanted to name him Zechariah after his father, but Elizabeth said, Nope, his name is John. This is the birth of who would come to be known as John the Baptist. And all these people are gathered around at this circumcision ceremony. Not so much fun for John, but everyone else is having a good time. And it says, as it was revealed who John was and what he was going to mean, that something unique happened in and around the people. As it continues on, Luke says that awe fell upon the whole neighborhood. The news of what had happened spread throughout the Judean hills. Everyone who heard about it reflected on these events and asked... What will this child turn out to be? For the hand of the Lord was surely upon him in a special way. The whole neighborhood, all of them in awe, all of them with questions, all of them feverishly wanting to know, who will this boy be? What does his existence mean? What is the Lord doing? And to reveal a hand early, God responds, right there, right then, and he tells Zechariah exactly what to say about his son, He says that Zechariah was filled with the Holy Spirit. And he said this, Praise the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has visited and redeemed his people. He has sent us a mighty savior from the royal line of his servant David, just as he promised to the holy prophets long ago. Now we will be saved from our enemies and from all who hate us. He has been merciful to our ancestors by remembering his sacred oath. By his sacred covenant, the covenant he swore with an oath to our ancestor Abraham. We have been rescued from our enemies so that we can serve God without fear in holiness and righteousness for as long as we live. And you, my little son, will be called the prophet of the Most High. Because you will prepare the way for the Lord. You will tell the people how to find salvation through forgiveness of their sins. Because of God's tender mercy, the morning light from heaven is about to break upon us. To give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death and to guide us to the path of peace. I believe the single worst thing that can happen to us at Christmas is we miss out on exactly what God is trying to reveal through Zechariah's words. The worst thing that can happen is that we just read this and go about our lives, that we just read this and do not consider the message of why Christmas existed and it exists. We can read this and I bet we've all heard something regarding the Christmas story before and I bet for every single one of us, we struggle to fully comprehend and grasp what it means. And the reason that I believe that is because if we understood the Christmas story, truly grasped it on a day-to-day basis, I believe that it would dispel all fear. I believe that the worst thing might be to disregard it. I think the best thing would be to grasp onto what it is trying to tell us. That we need not fear. That we need not sweat the small stuff. That we can walk in here with relationship issues and doubts and fears and concerns. Worries about family and children and money and jobs and purpose. But Zechariah's words on their own encapsulate no reason for our fear. They show us why we can trust in something so much greater. That God had given Zechariah this message that we could choose, choose to have hope. Hope that is going to be found in and amidst the turmoil and the loss and the fear and the confusion. Even hope in founding the mundane and in normalcy. The news he was given was of the coming of a king, the coming of a king that was going to change everything. And as we read it and as we hear it, the greatest danger is that we would glaze over it. Never grasping, never believing, never comprehending what he truly had to say. Because this is what Zechariah says to you. Praise the Lord, the God of Israel. Because he has visited and redeemed his people. He has sent a mighty savior in the royal line of his servant, David. What this means is that Zechariah knew that his son was going to be the first to declare to the world Christmas. He was going to be the first to say what Christmas is always supposed to have been about. The realization that our God decided to make a flesh and blood visit to his people. That he would then be willing to make a flesh and blood sacrifice for his people. To save his people from every evil thing. Part B of Zechariah's news is as he takes his baby boy in his arms, he says, You know what your job's going to be, Boy prophet of the Most High, preparing the way of the Lord, telling people how to find salvation from their sins, that the king of all men's purpose would be to come and to share the hope that what we find ourselves in is not what we need stay in, that all of Zechariah's words and John's words and all of God's words would try to point us in one place alone, that we can be saved from all evil, saved from the evil done to and saved by the evil done by us and Zechariah wraps it and says it's because of God's tender mercy that this is going to happen it is by God's tender mercy that the morning light of heaven is going to break upon us it is going to light up the shadow that we sit under it is going to show us what it is like not to have to live under the shadow of death that is how Zechariah wraps it all up and puts it all together so that we might we might understand this and this alone That our God is a God of salvation. That our God offers relationship. That our God offers peace. This path to peace that he desires to put us upon is a change. A change that we could have forgiveness that would walk us out of guilt and shame. That we could have peace where there has only ever been separation and conflict. That we could have love and joy where we've only come across evil and dismay. That a king has come to offer every single person who chooses it brand new life. Life that is genuinely worth living. Life that we are excited to enjoy. Life that is full of love and full of the knowledge that we are loved. If we're going to celebrate Christmas, any of us, we should maybe consider why Christmas is worth celebrating at all. That there is something so much more going on behind it. So much more worth of song and of dance and of lights and of music and of gifts and of food. Something so much more to celebrate. And to do that, we must change our perspective on the Christmas story. And allow the Christmas story to change us. Allow God to show us what it is we should focus on at Christmas. What should be held high. What should be prioritized. Where our response would be. What steps we would take to celebrate this season. Now, as we, as a church family, walk through this Christmas story every single week, there is something that must challenge us and drive us as a step to take to be able to engage in what God is maybe trying to say. Unless any of us feel that we've got this whole thing perfectly nailed down, we've all got something to learn and to grow from and through. This week, I've got a couple of steps that I think we're challenged to take. A couple of steps that demand answers of us when it comes to the understanding of the Christmas story. The first is an interesting reason that Zechariah is given for why we are rescued. Now, at this time of year, I think it's maybe more likely that we are more distracted than ever. For some of us, we are distracted by poor feelings, by ill feelings, by hard feelings surrounding Christmas and surrounding family and surrounding relatives. For some of us, we're distracted by the good things. There's time off and there's good times to be had. But distraction nonetheless. Maybe possibly distraction from even what you're here to be. What you're here to do. God has always tried to make it as clear as possible as he can. And he even uses Zechariah speaking to his boy to tell us what our purpose is here. Why we have existence, why we have been rescued. Because it says we have been rescued so that... We can serve God. Rescued so that we can serve God, so that we can do that without fear, so that we can do that so that builds and forms within us holiness and righteousness as long as we live. Yet distraction is often the thing that gets in the way of Christmas, that ruins Christmas. And we are rescued from those distractions by God's intention for it. We are rescued from the distraction of chasing pleasure. We can be rescued from the distraction of gaining wealth. We can be rescued from all the things that don't matter as much as this. That The sole purpose of your breath, your existence and your energy is to be able to serve God. To be able to serve him with all that we have because when we understand, when we grasp the story, when we grasp the intent, when we grasp Zechariah's words, we start to see the immense amount of love that God has chosen to give at Christmas. And that is what we serve out of. And we serve out of the belief that God wants to use us. We serve out of the belief that he wants to do tremendous things in our lives, in our families, that he wants to do it through our community, and he wants to use us to do it. This is one of the challenges of Zechariah, is that we would then choose, after being rescued, to serve our God all the while finding more and more the purpose for our days here. Now, because this is a problem and it's difficult at Christmas to get our eyes off of ourselves and to focus on what truly matters, this is why at Epiphany, as a church family, we always try and do something a little bit unique. It's called My Christmas Epiphany. And My Christmas Epiphany is, was created and has continued to be geared towards steering our focus maybe in the direction that God is more interested in of what he wants to see more of at Christmas and maybe what he wants to see less of at Christmas. We get behind what God is doing, a tremendous thing he is doing to share that love and hope and peace in our community and around the world. And this year, we've engaged in the support of a ministry within our town founded and serving our area called Elevate Youth Ministry, Elevate Youth Center. That is worth a clap. I like that that attitude. Rest of you, late to the party. (laughs) An Elephant Youth Center exists. It exists to speak these words that Zechariah shares about hope, about light in the darkness, to share it specifically with our teenagers, to shine light where light needs so desperately to be shown. Their God-given vision is to reach every single one with this hope and message of light being shown into their life to see what is true and what is not and what is good and what is right. And we get to be a part of that. We get to come alongside that to see generations and generations succeed as Elevate Youth Center supports them spiritually and relationally and emotionally and physically. So we set a goal this year. And it's a big goal. And it should grab your focus and grab your attention. And you should either be outraged by it or you should be really excited about it. We're going to raise $20,000 over the next month. And we're going to give that to the youth center, all of it. Because we believe so much that this is necessary, that something unique is happening in our city through this ministry, through this youth center, and we can't wait to get behind the tremendous things that God is doing. Now, if you want to be a part of serving God in that way, of finding your place and serving what he's doing, you can do that. As we go through this initiative for the rest of the month, you can give at Epiphany, and as long as you say it's for my Christmas Epiphany, it'll all go to the youth center. You can give online at at, uh, epiphanestation.com and under the drop-down options, it's My Christmas Epiphany. Anything on the card reader, anything in the red boxes, as long as there's something in the memo, it all goes there. It all gets used for that tremendous work. That's just one way in which at Christmas we choose to shift our focus less on serving ourselves and more on the reason we were rescued, to serve our God in turn. But there is another Challenge of the Christmas story. There is another challenge to Zechariah's words. I think it's a greater challenge and I think it's a greater step. I think God deems this actually more important. That He would say, This is more important than us serving God. That we would start to understand how God first served us. Zechariah said to his baby boy, You will be the one that tells people how to find salvation, how to find forgiveness. For their sins, all guilt, all shame, all darkness and death will be exploded by the light that you're going to tell people about. And we need that message so much because much of what we have done has flown in the face of love and of light. Much of what we've done has been evil things and they have caused division in our households, in our families, in our communities and they have caused separation between us and God. And his greatest gift at Christmas is that needn't stay that way. That we could instead live a life that is never again separated from our God. It is the bold question of God at Christmas. Will you find salvation? Will you unwrap the gift that he has given through Jesus Christ, the King that is coming? The one that could be Lord, the one that could rescue, the one that could be forgiveness for you. And God waits. He offers not forces and he waits for an answer. An answer to the question, will you choose to find salvation? Will you choose to allow the path of peace to be the path that you walk? Will you allow the light of heaven to shine in and get rid of the darkness? Because in the darkness, we are afraid. And in the darkness, we hurt. And in the darkness, we doubt. And God seeks none of that for your life. As we wrap up our conversation and our experience this morning we're actually going to hand over to the Elevate You Center drama team. They're going to have an opportunity to show you what it means to them to worship the God of light and the God of change. And as they do, I challenge you to let this ask you some questions. Why are you here? First of all, why did God pull you in this morning? And second of all, why do you still draw breath? Could your purpose be to find the place in which you serve your God in response to his love? Could that be why you're here, then serve your God, give it all to your God? Could it be that God is trying so desperately to help you find salvation, that you would be able to find what is most important to him and make it most important to you? No matter what it is that God is working on you this morning, I challenge you to act. I challenge you to talk to someone. I challenge you to start the conversation. And as we finish up in worship, as we play music to wrap up the experience, we're going to have our amazing prayer team down front. Our prayer team will be here if you want to know and understand maybe more what it means to be someone who can find salvation, freedom from darkness and guilt and shame. Or maybe you want to find where it is you're here to serve and why you're here maybe to give and to live differently. I'm going to leave you now with a small introduction A video from the Elevate youth team in which they share about what the dramas, programs at Elevate means to them and what it means for them to be able to find a place to be able to express their love of the king of change, of the king of light.
1: Hi, I'm Teresa Hudson and I'm the director of the drama program here at Elevate. Uh, we absolutely love doing dramas because it's a new, rev- different revenue to reach the teens and to show them the love of God's heart. And now we're gonna hear from some teens of ways that drama has impacted them personally. The dramas have shown me a different perspective, I would say.
0: The dramas have really impacted my life because I can relate to most of them. I always know that God will be right by the side of me and He'll always be here. I love the Elevate Drama program for two reasons. One, because I get to see and understand the Bible more. And two, because I get to be a part of something and express my talent and be with other teenagers. The drama is very strong and powerful.
1: hits home a lot. Um, they've shown me how it affects other people that I don't go through.
0: Drama is my life and I'm thankful for the drama program. I love that Elevate has a drama program and I love being in it.
1: Starlight, star bright, the first star I see tonight. Deep in the dark, creation is humming. A light has come, a light is coming. A light has come. A light is coming. At 299,792,458 meters per second, a light has come, and a light is coming. Light is energy. It's rays and waves greeting us with a bright, sunny face. Light speeds and it spreads, covering everything that it touches. It breaks, it illuminates, and it captivates. It stimulates the senses and eliminates the dark. It fascinates the children and generates a spark. It shines, and without it, we are blind, literally. It is only when light enters our eye that we are finally able to see we as a people living in darkness and needing a great, great light. So it's no wonder that out of all the things he could have created first, God said, let there be light, right? So in the middle of the night, the angel appears to the shepherd's fright. Do not be afraid, they say. Just follow the light. Starlight, star bright. The first son is born tonight. To the virgin mother, the brother of James, who uttered wonder and suffered under others' blunders to uncover a love for one another, and a father and son shining so brightly that it's only right that we call him the light of the world. This light was broken and it spread, putting every sin that he touched, illuminating the truth, captivating our attention and creating out tomorrow. So let this be a sign that the blind can see that the water is wine, that the broken are free and his light will shine into every crack of brokenness over every horizon of hope so through the prism of his promise behold a drummer boy drumming for glorious homecoming and evil succumbing to the light that has come the light that is coming so join us in worship